Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Confluence of Ideas Report for December 11th, 2023. I'm Phil Adler. As we approach the end of the year, Confluence Investment Management has identified what it calls big picture geopolitical issues that will influence investment strategy in 2024. Confluence Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady and Market Strategist Patrick Theron Hernandez have co-authored this report, and they join us today to discuss the firm's 2024 geopolitical political outlook. Gentlemen, these annual outlooks always seem especially attuned to risks. Am I right that more alarm bells are going off this time around? I'll jump in uh, first on that, Phil. This is Patrick. Thanks for having us on the show. And to answer your question, yes, the world today is becoming riskier with more alarming developments or potentially alarming developments than we all got used to during the post-Cold War period of relative peace and globalization. We're moving into a totally new era of great power competition and U.S.-China rivalry. As we've been warning about for some time now, this new era will be marked by more risk and volatility, including for investors. And this is Bill. And as usual, Phil, a keen observation on your part. The overarching issue is that an effective hedgeman tends to contain global tensions, but the fact that they are contained doesn't mean they've all gone away. As a hedgeman is perceived to be weakening or distracted, these frozen conflicts tend to thaw. Now, the trick is that some have the potential to expand to become regional or global, others remain contained on their own. And it's hard to know in advance which is a serious problem and which isn't. So for the hedgeman, it becomes an issue of figuring out which ones to get involved in and which ones to leave alone. So far, what we're seeing is the U.S. is is really invested in the security of Europe, and it's interested in the Middle East, although that interest is probably waning some. And the U.S. is also interested in the Far East, but is struggling to create an alliance structure. What I'm watching for is the surprise. For example, we aren't seeing much commentary from Washington on the Guyana-Venezuela issue, but that one could become a real mess. It could affect global oil supplies. I want to spend some time on the number one most important issue that is identified in the report. It's titled, The Jungle Grows Back. Explain. Yeah, we've actually borrowed that title from a book by Robert Kagan that he put out in 2018. In that book, Kagan used The Jungle Grows Back as a metaphor for the way rogue states will reassert themselves as the U.S. pulls back from its traditional role as the global hegemon. As any homeowner will tell you, neglecting to prune the bushes or forgetting to apply the weed killer or failing to mow the lawn will soon leave you with lots of unwanted vegetation. In a wild, tropical zone, you don't just end up with long grass and unsightly weeds. Rather, you end up with tough, intrusive jungle reasserting itself to the point where it's hard to get rid of it again. As the U.S. pulls back from hegemony, it's leaving a power vacuum and tempting misbehavior and violence by states around the world that kind of match that description. The key point is a hedgeman's works like a mother's work is never done. There is no relaxing or peace dividend. That was the mistake that we made in the U.S. after 1990. Do you think a lack of trust by U.S. citizens in our government may be driving this American retreat from its previous role of world hegemon? Well, I, I think in a sense, yes. Although 
we're more apt to ascribe it to the fact that U.S. citizens have grown weary of the very real military and economic and social costs that come with being the global hegemon. A lot of voters are angry that these costs have been imposed on them in the form of long wars in Vietnam, in Iraq, and Afghanistan, or in the form of deindustrialization, like the country saw as the government allowed massive import flows and the relocation of factories to places like China. Whether it's distrust, anger, or some combination of the two, a lot of voters are pressuring their leaders to disengage from the world. You know, during the Cold War, there was a legitimate fear of communism, and that led Americans to be willing to make sacrifices. And the Cold War ended, there was a sense there just wouldn't be as many sacrifices, and in fact, for the upper 10% of households, there really wasn't. But for the rest, the cost of globalization and the drive for efficiency fell upon their shoulders, and they were told they shouldn't mind. So yes, there is a deep sense of distrust. Is there evidence that the U.S. is still trying to live up to the hegemon role? For instance, looking at the Middle East, U.S. policy does seem focused on trying to prevent the fighting in Gaza from morphing into something bigger. Would you say it's the sheer number of global hotspots that's overwhelming U.S. resolve? Well, it's surely challenging America's bandwidth. You know, the other problem it poses is that policymakers are struggling to prioritize problems. You know, during the Cold War, the overarching challenge was containing the Soviets. Pretty much every issue fell under that rubric. Now, policymakers struggle to figure out what's the most important. For example, I would postulate Ukraine is probably more important to global security than the Middle East. If Ukraine fell, there's a historical precedent that would suggest Russia would continue to expand its buffer. So preventing that from happening is critical. Now, this doesn't mean the U.S. shouldn't care about the current Hamas-Israeli conflict, but Ukraine's probably should get a priority. And yet a cursory look at the media would suggest Ukraine is all but forgotten. Another key trend identified in the report is elections, and it, it does seem to be a busy year coming up. Which foreign elections have the most potential to create geopolitical instability and a heightened risk for investments? Well, there are a lot of elections next year, but there are two we're really focusing on, and the first occurs in January in Taiwan. If the DPP wins, which tends to be a more separatist party, and and by all accounts, it looks like they probably will, China may conclude that it must act forcefully to prevent the island from drifting into independence. Second on the list would be Mexico, given the nation's proximity to the U.S. We do tend to focus on Europe and Asia, but Mexico and El Salvador are very close to home and and they're included as items of concern in your report. Could you review a little bit more why we should pay close attention to elections in these two countries? Well, personally, I think Mexico is a big deal. As the U.S. restructures its allies, Mexico should be front and center along with Canada. We have seen a new political party emerge in Mexico with its current president, and it looks like it's going to have legs beyond his term. So American policymakers have to deal with that new structure. El Salvador is worth watching because China has been trying to make inroads into Latin America. Of course, the U.S. is also holding elections. Financial markets traditionally do not like surprises. Do you think we should be more attuned than usual to the possibility of surprises? Well, I do. Notice that since 2008, political pundits have continued to analyze elections assuming a dominant two-party system, when in fact the main parties are splintering and so-called third-party candidates are emerging. 
The U.S. system of two parties are really coalitions, and on occasions the constituents of these coalitions change. For example, anti-civil rights groups were primarily Democrats until the mid-1960s. When you have these periods of realignment, extra-party candidates often emerge, and that's what we're seeing now. Pundits tend to ignore these candidates, assuming they are mere spoilers, and that may not be true this election. Since the situation is fairly unique, it could bring unexpected risks. I'm seeing a lot of facile analysis that suggests markets will do okay next year because that's what tends to happen in election years. This one might be unique enough that that pattern doesn't hold. Another key geopolitical issue for next year is U.S.-China tensions. Patrick, you've written a lot about this particular subject. I'll direct this question to you. Am Am I right that China, responding to internal problems, may be trying lately to ratchet down diplomatic and economic tensions at least a little bit? Yes, Phil, I think that's very clear. From General Secretary Xi's meeting with President Biden in California to the way Beijing has approved a key merger between Broadcom and VMware, it looks like China is doing everything it can these days to ease tensions with the West, at least in diplomatic and economic terms. The goal is probably to put a floor under China's trade and investment flows with the West. All the same, keep in mind that trade and investment decoupling is only one challenge for China's economy. China is also facing its own domestic economic challenges, such as weak consumer demand and high debt. Those factors will remain challenging even if relations with the West improve a bit. Well, have China's internal economic challenges in any way impacted its military spending and military goals? Absolutely not, in in my view. We haven't seen any sign of that at all. Indeed, we assess that even if Chinese economic growth continues to slow, the country has plenty of resources that it can keep channeling into its military buildup. It also has the will to do so, given that Xi continues to advocate for his central goal, which is the great rejuvenation of the Chinese people. Xi has explicitly argued that China can't achieve that goal unless it has a world-class military that can do what he calls fight and win wars against a strong adversary, meaning, of course, the U.S. Finally, if you look at the major military programs that China has in train, you'll see that they're major multi-year investments that aren't likely to be scuttled at a whim. In sum, China in 2024 will almost certainly continue to rapidly build up its arsenal of nuclear weapons, its navy, and other key military forces. Moving on, shifting geopolitical blocks is another key issue identified in the 2024 outlook. Which countries are most in play as the U.S. and China seek ascendance? Well, in 2024 specifically, two countries to watch are India and Argentina. Currently, our analysis puts both those countries in the leaning China block. But the U.S. would dearly love to peel them away from China, perhaps to the neutral block or even to the leaning U.S. block. Things had been looking good for the U.S. to draw India closer as the countries were cooperating more and more in the military and economic spheres. But in recent months, the 
increasingly authoritarian Prime Minister Modi may have spoiled the good vibes by ordering the assassination of expatriate Sikh separatists in the U.S. and Canada. We'll have to see how much that damages U.S.-Indian relations in 2024. Now, separately, after many years in which Argentina's Peronist governments sought ever closer ties with China, the country's recently elected a radical populist libertarian named Javier Millet, who wants to shift Argentina's orientation back to the U.S. In 2024, it'll be interesting to see how successful he will be in doing so. And and the only thing I would add to that is, keep in mind that there are a lot of nations, but especially those in Asia, that loathe to choose between the U.S. and China. Thus, expect there to be a lot of horse trading over the next few years. We mentioned Ukraine before and how the U.S. media is not giving it as much attention. Do you think that the war in Ukraine has become a lesser concern for investors? Yeah, I I think it's true. And we've actually thought that for a long time. Investors have paid a lot less attention to it for many months, especially as the fighting evolved into a virtual stalemate. But this isn't to say that the war isn't important at all. It is. In part, that's because there's still a risk that Russian President Putin might decide to escalate his attacks, which is always a concern when a country has nuclear weapons. Just as important, as we write in our report, any kind of eventual peace agreement that lets Russia hold on to some of its gains could well encourage future aggression by Russia and even embolden the Chinese. In other words, we think the conflict still bears watching in 2024. Well, considering all these challenges, let's uh, fill out the investment picture if we can. As the world becomes a riskier place, which investments become less attractive? You know, as the new riskier world unfolds, including in 2024, the classic risk assets like U.S. equities and foreign equities, corporate debt, and many commodities are likely to face more volatility. The risk premiums on those assets could well move up. Paradoxically, however, the longer-term returns for many of those assets may remain relatively attractive even as their values fluctuate more. The asset class that seems most likely to become less attractive is bonds, especially U.S. government obligations. Of course, it's true that such bonds are traditionally seen as a safe haven in times of geopolitical tensions, but except in times of outright crisis, we think bond valuations will be challenged by the higher and more volatile inflation and interest rates we expect in this new era. They'll also be challenged if the U.S. budget deficit and debt levels continue to worsen. And and that includes in 2024. While many bond investors are bidding up longer-term treasuries again in anticipation of early interest rate cuts by the Federal Reserve, we think they could be disappointed. A fracturing world is one with more inflation. The fact that we're now more concerned about national security and and less about productivity in, in itself leads to that outcome. In such a world where inflation is elevated, the assets that are most risk are long-duration assets. And by long-duration assets, two key examples are long-term bonds and growth stocks. Which investments, as we look to 2024, become, broadly speaking, more attractive? 
Well, despite the potential for more crises in 2024 and in the longer term, we think stocks in the U.S. geopolitical bloc in particular will likely remain attractive, especially once companies finish adjusting their supply chains to reflect the new geopolitical dynamics. As the new, more volatile, tension-filled world continues to evolve in 2024, we think the sectors that look most interesting are broad industrials, defense stocks, mining, and energy. We also like commodities, especially gold, oil and gas, uranium, and industrial metals. Another way of saying this is short-duration assets, which means short-term fixed income, value stocks, and the commodities Patrick mentioned. As we close, I'd like to return to the first issue identified in the report, that it really is a jungle out there as the U.S. withdraws from its global hegemonic role. And you gentlemen write in your report, the 2024 geopolitical outlook that, and I'll quote this line, unnecessary wars of choice, domestic deindustrialization, and widening income inequality have led to the rise of populism, which tends to support isolationism. And I was wondering, What are the chances that this isolationist trend might slow or even reverse if U.S. policy addresses these key issues successfully? In other words, if the U.S. refrains from unnecessary wars, brings factory production back home, and if there is progress, perhaps led by unions, to reverse income inequality? And I'll I'll direct that question first to you, Patrick. You know, despite the fact that I I do a lot of writing on China's military buildup and that fraught issue, and I think I am developing a reputation as Dr. Doom, I'm actually an optimist. You know, I, I focus on the fact that U.S. democracy has an uncanny ability to self correct, even if it can be slow to do so. If the costly policies adopted to maintain global hegemony have indeed spawned populism and isolationism, and if misbehaving authoritarian countries continue to take advantage of that in ways that threaten the U.S., I think there's a significant chance that today's adjustments, like ending the war in Afghanistan and rebuilding our domestic industrial base, could mollify a lot of the anger out there over time and help us regain our stability and cohesion. It's not guaranteed, but I think there's a decent chance of it. And if it happens, I think it would be good for investors. You know, American hegemony is at risk for a number of reasons, but perhaps the most important one is the current practice of hegemony is incompatible with domestic stability. Patrick is right when he points out that reshoring and solidifying supply chains should improve the lot of many of those left behind by the globalization of the past three decades. My worry is that the political class opts for the obvious solution, which of focusing on domestic policy alone, concluding that the world can take care of itself. There are elements of this tone present in both of the major political parties. There is hope, but it's worth remembering that the U.S. turned away from the world to some extent after World War I, which proved to be a serious mistake. There is a path to reform our practice of hegemony, but there is also a strong temptation to simply abandon it. I work from the assumption that abandonment is one path that we will have to watch closely. Thank you, Bill and Patrick. Time to say that our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. Opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our audio engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.